I want to see from this administration, white people actually suffering consequences for their bad deeds. No, the Capitol rioters do not get a reprieve. Donald Trump does not get a reprieve. We saw what they tried to do. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jaron Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, how do we plan to hold the Biden-Harris administration accountable during its first 100 days? So, Shauna, before we get into today's show, what's on your mind this week? Oh, Jaren, Jaren, Jaren. So for the most part, I choose to ignore addressing a lot of stupidity that we get from, I can't even call them fans. There are people who follow the griot and interact with the griot, come to our website. I mean, they're consumers of the griot, but they do so in a way to like hate on it and hate on us as well as, honestly, they're using the griot to chase for clout in their random little social circles, right? So this week, a woman, she's an elder, from what I can tell from them photos and her videos. I'm gonna try and keep it cute and respectful-ish. An elder who I'm not going to say her name because again, she's clout chasing and she's not going to get that clout from here. She travels in what I like to call, you know, like FOTEP circles. Very, she has a YouTube channel and she's talking to the YouTube channel and she's doing a whole lot of blinking and, and moving her mouth and all and like this and, you know, and talking a lot of crap about stuff that she knows nothing about. So this week we posted an opinion piece. Now, I want to take a brief moment. Let's step back here. I need y'all to understand how news works and how there's a difference between editorial and an op-ed, an opinion <laughs> Piece. Now, if just regular news facts reporting, that's fine. That's one thing. For the most part, we try not to offer any opinions at either here or there on a story. We're just reporting facts. An opinion piece, an op-ed, is when someone, anyone, can offer their thoughts on a particular subject. Now, whether or not if the griot by and large agrees with those thoughts, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Aside from like BS and stuff that's like highly offensive. Oh yeah, you know, capital writers or should go free or some nonsense like that. We're not gonna put that up, no. But Stephanie Brown James from The Collective Pack wrote an op-ed about how she believes Kamala Harris being like sworn in, Cori Bush, et cetera, that these are examples of Black political power, you know, finding a voice. And of course, there were some folks who wanted to, and I don't know what is the glamour and what's the reason for this divisiveness in terms of like the whole ADOS at that realm, but they're like, well, Kamala Harris is not Black. She's not a descendant of Black American, you know, slaves and whoop, 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 whoop. So this woman, <laughs> she saw our post about it, and then she proceeded to take a screenshot of it and then say, oh, do y'all want to hear what the griot is talking about? And then proceeds to say, someone who claims that they are hashtag Black media is lying, and she puts like the Pinocchio emoji. First off, you moron. It's called an opinion piece. It is called an op-ed. The griot didn't say a thing. Stephanie Brown James did. Now, granted, we will defend Stephanie. Absolutely so, because what you're not about to do is misconstrue her words. But 
let's be very clear. You're also not going to misrepresent what the griot said, what the griot is about, or what we're trying to do. So, you know, it turned into a block party. So listen, if you're here to hate on it, if you're here to try and grow your followership, if you're here to talk all this stuff, you have a problem with black media, then guess what? You have two options. One, either create your own, shut the hell up (laughs) and create your own, or two, Go ahead and enjoy the white people's news and complain about it and talk about it into the air. I don't really care either way. But what you are not going to do ever, not ever, not on my Ayanla Van Zandt voice, not on my watch, what you're never going to do is disrespect what myself, my team, and when I say my team, I'm talking about the entire, the Griot staff. The work that we put in, our black asses are putting our lives and reputation on the line every single day trying to make this into something bigger, trying to make this into something that is representative of the black culture, trying to give y'all news that you care about that they are not going to talk about that they are going to misrepresent and if you can't appreciate it if you have a problem with it if you're on some divisive nonsense we are already held down what are you doing trying to further create divisions it's stupid it's stupid it's wrong and you sound like white people you sound like maga plain and simple and i can get the hate mail i can get the messages i can get all of that i don't care y'all sound like maga there is research actual data research that shows that a lot of y'all people who are out here pushing all this ados blah 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 stuff now granted and let me go on record and say i am for reparations boop so shut your mouth there but a lot of y'all who are spitting all this ados stuff if you peel back the layers there is research that shows A lot of the talking points that y'all are using are pushed by right-wing media. So if you want to talk about what could you possibly be agreeing with them on that level, maybe do some internal searching. But in the meantime, don't play with me. Don't play with my brand. Don't play with my coworkers. And don't play with Byron Allen's name. Don't do that. Plain and simple. What about you, Jerry? (laughs) <laughs> got, got Shauna fired up. <laughs> but thank you, Shauna, for saying that because as the managing editor of The Griot, it's very frustrating when we get commentary that is just not fair. And we invite critique. That's fine. Especially because we are a very niche organization, so we do cater to Black audiences. And because the Black community is special in itself, we see it as a collaborative experience between news gathering and sharing information with what we call the Creo fam. But by and large, you'll notice that most people who drop comments are typically people who have negative things to say. And you learn that because the internet is what it is, it's a cesspool for anyone and everyone to have an opinion. People. People who are miserable and insufferable and to your point, don't do research and they don't read. They see a headline, they get triggered whatever reason. And then they act out in these very like angry ways on the internet. And, you know, I say to whoever this woman is, you know, if you're not happy with the coverage, you can not read it. But there are millions of people who enjoy reading the griot and appreciate the stories that we put out and appreciate our opinion stories. And we will continue to share the opinions of all people within the community who want to have their voices heard. And yeah, the Eidos thing is continuing to be a very interesting thing to play out. It is very divisive. I remember tweeting about something during the primaries and the presidential election. And I simply mentioned that Marion Williamson had been discussing 
requesting reparations throughout her career before running for president. And some angry person is like, Ados has been pushing the cause for reparations. You know, it's been all about them and made it about the organization and wanted to have a fight on the internet. And I don't engage in arguments online, but you find that they thrive off of divisiveness and being angry. And that's not the way forward if you believe in reparations and true equity for Black people. Yes, we're angry about a lot of things that Black people face, but when you're saying that Kamala Harris is not Black, you just can't be a part of the conversation. You're not here to build bridges, but to burn bridges. And that's not what the grill is about. So if you don't like it, you don't have to read it. But what's on my mind this week, which frustrates me also, in addition to angry people in comment sections, are people not adhering to COVID guidelines still. Like we are now almost a year into the US lockdown of the coronavirus. And when I go on my Instagram, I see a majority of people, it seems as the weeks go by, just like at house parties and at the club and not wearing masks and definitely not socially distancing. And, you know, granted, I went on a couple of trips last year, but I got tested. I made sure that everyone on the trip got tested and we stayed in, you know, our cluster. But I'm noticing that people just act like there's no coronavirus pandemic at all anymore. I think that people are maybe getting frustrated and they're tired of being stuck at home and I get it, I am too. But if we really want to get back to normal, it's important that, all of us just sit tight and just calm down. Like you will have your opportunity to go to brunch and party and celebrate your birthdays and your anniversaries and all that. But if we don't get a handle of this coronavirus, we're going to be in this situation for much longer than we've already been in it. And that's not hot. That's not what I want for 2021. I would love for us to be out of this by end of summer, early fall. But as you can see from the Biden administration and what they're trying to implement, like they're saying if we have to do these criteria of things if we want to have some level of normalcy by fall. And when I go on the internet and I see people just being careless, it makes me feel like we're going to be here in 2022. Mm -hmm. March 13th marks a year since I've been on a plane, which is unheard of for me. I was a person who I was on a plane minimum four times a month, <laughs> minimum four times a month. This is, and I think President Biden just announced like South Africa is on like that list of like kind of travel restrictions too. I was like, well, damn, if I thought I was going to South Africa in 2021, it seemed like that might be a wrap too. This country and its citizens are so ridiculously selfish, self-centered and self-serving. It's baffling to watch, but I'm not surprised. I think I'm just really disappointed and kind of pissed off. But then I realized me sitting here and, you know, shaming people for traveling, shaming people for gathering and doing all that stuff. That's not going to change anything. I'm not going to put that energy out into the world. I'm just going to watch you and be like, just the moment you over here, kahun, kahun, or, you know, they telling you that they might have to intubate your ass. Don't be on Instagram asking for thoughts and prayers. I, you ain't got mine. I'm sorry. Yeah, I will sip my drink <laughs> slowly. Speaking of COVID, this is a great transition to get into this episode, talking all things the, the Biden administration and his first 100 days in office. And we can't talk about that before talking about the inauguration. We saw Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris be sworn in as the new president and vice president. And many people are 
or were overjoyed to see Trump pack his bags and leave the White House. And I'm thrilled as well. But I think it's also important to note that we should not be too caught up in that joy because there's a lot of work ahead of us. And while I and many people would probably love to be unbothered like Bernie Sanders was in that viral meme from the inauguration, the truth is we have to get serious and we have to make our demands clear. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the inauguration day, Shauna, what was your favorite inauguration look? Because there were a lot of looks that made me turn. <laughs> so, and I mean, you and I, we were on live, Facebook Live, as the grill did the coverage for that. So we talked about this a bit, but, you know, Queen Michelle, my Lord, my Lord, like just listen, the belt. The color, the, what was it? It was, was it ox blood? No, it was plum. I said, my God, the hair, just my goodness. It was so ridiculously good. And I'm just like, Michelle, I can only dream. Amanda Gorman's that coat. I've been looking for that damn coat. That yellow coat is sold out now. It's clean, gone. And of course, <laughs> Lady Gaga and that bird, because I know, I know it's a dove that's carrying an olive branch or whatever the hell. Screw that. That was a mocking jay. Okay. <laughs> Lady Gaga said that she was cat in Severdeen and she was doing it for District 12. All right. That's how I'm going to take it. Plain and simple. There's nothing you can do to change my mind about that. Otherwise, it was we are free. Penem now. Penem forever. Okay. We. <laughs> We have beat the Capitol. We are here now. President Snow had just got tossed out, gone. So <laughs> what about you, Jared? I have to agree. Michelle Obama was the look. I mean, she's going to have people try to replicate that look. I'm sure it has already happened. I haven't seen it, but I'm sure people will try to replicate that look just from head to toe. I mean, Fashion Nova got something brewing. <laughs> I know it. I remember there was a meme of this guy wearing, like, I guess it was a wig or a lace front, and it was like wrapped up and then he's like combing it out. And it was like Michelle Obama moments before she walked into the inauguration. <laughs> and anyone who has been in a household with a black woman before knows that the hair game has to be on point. And she slayed. I mean, she brought it. I mean, it was stunning. Like Michelle Obama always looks beautiful. And what amazes me about her fashion is that she steps up every single time. I'm just like, what else can she possibly do? She's breathtaking. I think that as a black woman on a global stage to see her be a fashion icon is really amazing to watch. And it's exciting and it's fun. And it's a reminder that Michelle Obama is a modern former first lady. She's only in her 50s and she has a lot of decades of life to live, God willing. And she's going to be slaying, I think, for decades to come. And it's going to be glorious to watch. Absolutely. Listen, and I appreciate the fact that she was like, I'm sorry, child. It is cold. They're talking about snow. I'm not going to be in no skirt, no dress, no nothing. Enjoy these pants. And have a good time. <laughs> but so, of course, you know, with all of the pomp and circumstance of the inauguration, Black Twitter had to, you know, just bring some joy to the moment. So, I mean, let's think about all the memes that were happening. Jaren, what was your possible, like, favorite memes for the entire day? Well, the first one has to be Bernie Sanders. I did not expect this to be a meme. I didn't even notice Bernie Sanders at the inauguration initially. So when I saw the photo going viral, I was like, you know, I laughed a little bit. I was like, okay. And then, you know, I actually covered it for the grill because it got so viral. I mean, they were photoshopping him and sitting in the folding chair with his coat 
and his mittens that were made by a Vermont school teacher in his home state. And they photoshopped him inside New York City subway in a scene from The Wire. I mean, it just went on and on and on. Older people, even though Bernie has a reputation for seeming to be grumpy, old people tend to like be you know, endearing and adorable to some people. And I think seeing, you know, Bernie Sanders with his hands crossed and looking like he's not here for this inauguration. <laughs> it was funny because he did run for president and he did lose to Joe Biden in the primary. So I think that that was kind of the underbelly of why people gravitated toward Bernie Sanders and this viral sitting in the chair. But it was really funny. I'm glad that he took it in stride. He loved the attention. I think he's also like, he found some way to like donate money to local organizations in Vermont out of, I guess, maybe things being sold. I'm not sure if there's maybe t-shirts. He sweatshirt and he put the illustration of him being in that chair. <laughs> it's so funny because there was also like a moment right before they caught him, you know, in his little mitten, his mitten stance, as I like to call it. And that's like when he's walking down the steps and you see Bernie, you know, he has his mittens and he has, it looks like some mail or something like that. And there was a meme that was like, Bernie Sanders to-do list for the day. It was like, run and Aaron's, number two, Joe's thing, number three, post office. And I was like, <laughs> like he does just look like, listen, man, I got something to do. What all time is this going to end? Who going to be there? I think one of my favorites too was J-Lo and that's singing. Now, anytime J-Lo comes on the screen, we all know there's going to be some references to Ashanti. They're like, Ashanti is out in the back. Her voice is tired, child, trying to carry this tune from J-Lo. Now, this was not a meme, but this was something that has personally occurred in my life because my line sister is a damn fool. Bethany, if you are listening to this, I'm telling people about your business. <laughs> Bethany took to Twitter and suggested, she's like, why don't we just do like our J-Lo challenge is just walk into rooms or just random situations and just start screaming, let's get loud. <laughs> so she messages me out the blue and I get my text message and there's a voice note and there she is singing this stupid thing. And I'm like, I know, listen, and that's one of the things that makes me like hate COVID so much is I'm like, I know if it were my line sisters, my girls all hanging out together, we would have ran that joke into the ground like <laughs> the entire weekend after the inauguration. It's so frustrating. But one thing I did think was really, really, really funny is shout out to the comedian Finesse Mitchell. And he did a little bit of a voiceover as to what we all envisioned or, you know, and imagine what was really being said <laughs> during the inauguration. Let's take a listen. J-Lo and this bitch. Oh, hey, what up, nigga? I didn't know y'all was still together. Y'all still together. That is so good. Hey, did you see Gaga Bird? I saw that shit. It's so big. It's a gold pigeon oh my from God. Brooklyn. Hey. Barack, they still together. Hey, you still together. Yep, yep. It's really good. Very proud of you, J-Lo. You know, you you be going through it sometimes. You wrong for I'm that. I'm proud of you. I just want to know if J-Lo and A-Rod still oh, together. No, nah, here you go. <laughs> Yo, don't start that shit. Don't get in trouble today. This guy don't quit. That's how you get in trouble all the damn I know, time. I know, I know. Where's Hillary, matter of fact? Has anybody seen Hillary? I bet that bird ain't I know, I know she's looking for him. He's She's always looking for him. <laughs> Bill, Bill, where is Bill? Has anyone seen, have you seen Bill? Have you seen my husband? I saw that, I saw him talking to J-Lo. I knew it, I'ma leave his ass, I'ma leave him. That's a beautiful bird, by the way, big as shit, but I love birds, it's beautiful. <laughs> I 
Ness Mitchell really, he really just captured the best of what comedy offers. You know, you take something that is somewhat built in truth, right? Or built in popular opinion, and you make comedy out of it. It was hilarious. Like, not only were a lot of the voices, like, on point, but he spoke to so many different things that is fodder in popular culture, which is J-Lo always being with, J-Lo loves love. She always was a new man. And the surprise that she's still with A-Rod. Bill and Hillary's, you know, marriage. You know, we all know the history of that. Bill, um, I see Bill. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was so funny. I can watch that multiple times a day. You know, I'll never get tired of it. It's just mm-hmm. great I comedy. that bird ate Like, <laughs> Such nonsense, but it was so good. Shout out to Finesse Mitchell for that. I definitely enjoyed that. But now it's time to kind of shift gears, Shauna, because we have to get serious because, as I mentioned earlier, we are now in the first 100 days of the Biden-Harris administration. And so what do you want to see from this administration? A lot is at stake. A lot, a lot. Well, what I will say is this. I give... Props to the Biden-Harris administration because we are almost a week into, you know, they're taking over and we've seen a few things. One is the removal of the transgender ban for the military. And I know that there are a lot of people who are like, well, that's a trans issue, don't love. But let's remember that there are Black trans people, number one. Number two, you know, they're serving this country. Something that I won't do. I surely will not. They're serving this country has nothing to do with their gender identity. And I think us being able to full-throatedly as a country say that and mean it and take away that hatefulness, I'm very proud to see. We saw the Biden-Harris administration, I think just today, had announced that they're trying to end private prison contracts, which we all know the prison industrial complex is modern day slavery, just called something else, you know, and figuring out ways that those of us who are the most marginalized and the most ignored, quite frankly, in this country are being heard and being listened to. As a Black woman, I personally need to see policies that are directly addressing, you know, the maternal morbidity rates, you know, and just overall medical bias, especially considering like in COVID times now. We've seen and we've known, and I think it's been proven that Black doctors, who have black patients, especially like mothers, expected mothers and babies, those babies are more likely to survive. Those mothers are more likely to survive. And you have to wonder why is that? And it's probably because we listen to one another. And not just white doctors, non-black doctors. On the one hand, where I could blame them for those biases, it's also recognizing that at the very fundamental level, at the root, the medical field, it is embedded in racist ideology, eugenics and things. You know, that's the ground in which the flowers of modern medical history and modern medicine right now grow from. So how do we eradicate that? How do we change that? What's the training that is necessary for that? And I think that I think it is required on a federal level to address. You know, I think especially with black and brown people, and we're seeing all of this happen with COVID right now, where black and brown people are either being sent home. And I mean, there's unavailability, but also I can't help but wonder, God forbid, if myself or my parents or any of my other family members were to end up in the hospital, just how hard will they fight to save us? And that pains me to have to say that, but it's a valid concern. What I also need to see from this administration is tangible and actual changes as to policing, 
in this country. And when I say that, I mean, don't just give us body cameras, but then the police have the ability to turn them off. That's stupid. Don't just, you know, say, oh yeah, we're being transparent and blah, blah, blah. But then here we go. Cops kill a woman, man, child, and they're still getting off. No indictments, no charges, no, you know, no. (laughs) All of that needs to stop. I want to see from this administration, white people actually suffering consequences for their bad deeds. No, the Capitol rioters do not get a reprieve. Donald Trump does not get a reprieve. We saw what they tried to do. And had they not been so stupid and ill-prepared, I shudder to think what could have really happened. We've seen it, you know, on TV and in movies and things of that nature, but that was very, very real. And how frightening is that to really take a moment and consider? I want to see white people, if you're doing something racist, your ass is actually going to jail. You don't just get to apologize. You don't just get to, oh, well, you know, like the guy who was threatening to murder Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is now apologizing and saying, oh, well, I didn't really mean it. And it's not representative of who I am. That's exactly who you are. It's who you've been. So... Like, I don't understand how terroristic threats, uh, we talked about her last week, Riley James, whatever the hell her name is, Riley Williams, whoever, (laughs) who stole a laptop from Nancy Pelosi, tried to sell it to the Russians, is out, and now just reports from, I think today or yesterday, were that, oh yeah, well, you know, she got on the internet because she's home. She's released on her own recognizance, or at least out on bail or something. She got on the internet and was encouraging people to destroy any of their little mementos that they kept from the Capitol riot because the feds are coming for you. And now the lawyers, the prosecution is like, oh yeah, well, we need to restrict her access. You know how you can restrict her access? Put her white ass in prison. Why is she out? I don't understand. I don't understand. And yet, Emmanuel Jackson, Black man, homeless, with a history of mental issues. He is stuck in the clink right now because he took part in the Capitol riots, had a baseball bat, all of those things. There is a very obvious (laughs) inequity when it comes to justice in this country, when it comes to consequences and repercussions in this country. What are Joe and Kamala planning to do to address that? And yes, let's talk about reparations now. This is where I'm going to vary from a few people because my thoughts on reparations are I personally don't give a rat's tail about finances because in the grand scheme of things, that does nothing. We've seen the Dave Chappelle skit (laughs) where Black people got reparations and what happened. It boasted the economy because it went right back into that. But were there any tangible changes that were made? No. And I mean, granted, it was a comedy skit, but I don't think it's that far from the truth. So to me, what are the ideas of reparations? Okay, well, let's think about something. Black communities, by and large, have less trees. Black communities, urban areas, if you want to use the politically correct term, Black communities, by and large, have overheating issues. We have, this is why we have smog, this is why we have all of these problems, all these environmental issues. Why are our communities overheating and overheated, rather? Because we don't have any trees. Why? Because when white people were fleeing off to their suburbs, the government 
was out here planting trees and all of these things to make just a lovely, beautiful <laughs> landscape. Whereas if you're black and brown, you're growing up in like concrete jungle, asphalt. Why? Because it's easier to surveil you if you don't have a lot of trees. A lot of people don't know that, one. And two, it's just a matter of why don't our communities look like theirs? So what are the changes that you're going to make to address that? What are the changes that you're making to address, you know, education inequity? Why is it that Betsy Devos, whatever the hell her name is, was able to come and dismantle the public education system that by and large educates black and brown kids, making our kids stupid? And I can say this as a fact. My niece and my nephews, who are, what, eight, ranging from ages 11 to 14 right now, the younger ones, 11 to 14, they don't know how to write an essay. They don't know how to write an essay, how to compose an essay. You know what they do know how to do? How to take tests. That's not educating them. They don't know how to think critically because that's what the education system has done to fail them. What are we doing to address that? What are we doing to address economic housing crisis? Like those are the reparations that I want to see personally. I don't care about money. I don't. And if that's someone else's ministry, that's on you. I care about things that can make tangible changes for black people. How do black people achieve wealth? And it's not by some fluke. It's not by, oh, I know how to box. I know how to put a ball through a hoop. I know how to sing. I know how to dance my ass off. I know how to make people laugh on Instagram. No. How can we get there? How can we close that racial wealth gap? Because I'm sorry, to me, it's unfair that I have a four-year college education. I went to law school. I am, you know, I'm doing pretty well for myself, but oh, Billy Bob, with a high school diploma, maybe not even a high school diploma, can potentially earn the same amount as me. I think that's a little bit unfair. Can potentially get a house before I do based off the color of my skin. I think that's shit. <laughs> so Kamala and Joe, I'm waiting. Let's see. I'll just add quickly that at the time of this recording, President Biden should have or will is about to assign a series of orders that address racial equity. And from what I read so far about what's coming down the pipeline, you know, in addition to you, Shauna, mentioning them ending uh, contracts with private prisons, they're calling on agencies to utilize every resource to, quote, advance equity. And they're calling on agencies to basically adopt or create their own policies to advance equity in every federal agency and collecting data to eventually, I guess, create further policy. It, so far, it seems vague. And so my hope is that Biden-Harris, the administration really gets a little bit more specific about what they will do to address to closing these gaps, because there are racial gaps in pretty much every facet of American society. And it's not just enough to mandate that federal agencies create policies, but actually find a way to hold them accountable with some type of benchmark beyond just saying, create your own policies to advance equity. And so I don't know what that will look like, but I think it's also important to note that Biden and Harris can only do but so much because laws have to be passed in Congress. And while Democrats have a majority in the House and the Senate is very slim, there are about two Democrats who are moderates. And there's no indication that the filibuster is going to be dismantled. And the filibuster, for people who don't know what that is, basically it allows the minority, which right now is the Republican Party, to stalemate legislation. 
votes because some things that need to be passed require a 60 person vote in the Senate, even though Democrats have with Kamala Harris 51 votes. And so it still gives Republicans a lot of power. And the Republican Party is known for not advancing equity in their policy positions. And so I'm very worried that even if Biden signs a few executive orders and makes some small impacts in federal government, what does that mean for the rest of America? What does it mean for private businesses who are not mandated by this executive order? You know, there are limitations to what the executive branch can do. And I hope that through Biden identifying as a unifier, as someone who's going to negotiate with Republicans, I hope that equity, racial equity is at the top of that list, that he sits down or his advisors sit down with Republicans and explain to them why it's important to advance racial equity in very real, tangible ways. And it's unfortunate, but we need the Republican Party to do this. And if you don't like that, there's a midterm election in two years, and you can ensure that Democrats have more of a majority in the House and the Senate. So it doesn't just stop in the 2020 presidential election. It doesn't stop at Biden and Harris being in office. We have to continue to organize, to continue to vote, and ensure that people are in positions of power to exact actual change. And only time will tell. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. That I will well and faithfully discharge. That I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. The duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. As we continue this conversation of our expectations of President Biden and his administration, we have a very special guest here to weigh in. Please welcome veteran political analyst, award-winning journalist, and the Griot's White House correspondent and DC bureau chief, and my soror, April Ryan, to the show. Hello, how are you? Good, good, good. Well, okay, so let's address the elephant in the room, which is... You know, we all were privy and angrily watching, you know, how Donald Trump treated you. I never call him president. That's not something that he will ever get from me. So that temporary occupant of the White House at one point in time, you know, unleashed a type of, of venom and vitriol against you, you know, a Yamish. You know, there Abby, was a Abby, lot. Yamish, April. Abby, you know, it, especially if you were a black woman, you were going to catch that heat from him and his his MAGA tribe was going to descend upon you. So I guess my question would be to you, what do you think, outside of the obvious, what do you think will make covering the Biden administration different from, you know, your coverage of the Trump administration? This is my fifth administration. 
administration, fourth administration was Donald John Trump, and I've never seen anything like it in my life. With any administration, there's always some type of retaliation. If you do something or say something or ask a question that they may not particularly care for. But at the end of the day, the retaliation from this president, Donald Trump I'm talking about, was so different than any other. So with the Biden administration, it's the same as all the other three that I covered. There's retaliation if there's something that they don't like. It would never go personal like this. It would never go to death threats, uh, calling the minions for death threats. You know, I'm going to keep my therapist, but I'm breathing easier. It's trauma. It's traumatic. Think about this, Shauna and Jaron. You guys, we're here on Dear Culture, but think about this. You ask the question of the leader of the free world, and the world is watching, and he calls you out of your name. He chastises you. And those who are crazy and listen to what he says, it's okay, I'm going to send her a note to let her know that I am a former army ranger. And when she sees me, she's going to know it. I'm going to be Caesar Sayoc and let her know that I'm not happy. I'm going to tweet her and I might send her, you know, one of those fake bombs. Think mm. about those things. And just being, doing what you do. But doing what you do, you've gone to school for it, you've trained for it, and now look what happened. So I welcome anything but Donald John Trump, any administration but Donald John Trump. I welcome it, but I'm still going to keep my therapist. <laughs> Makes sense. Absolutely. Another important issue, especially for Black women, is the death rates of Black women trying to give birth. And Black women die three to four times the rate of white women. And Vice President Kamala Harris, when she was a senator, she proposed the Black Maternal Care Act. And given that she's not president, this is not her administration technically, it's Joe Biden's administration, do you think Vice President Kamala Harris will have difficulty or inability to push this issue forward in policy? given that she's no longer in the U.S. No, because Joe Biden, when he was vice president, he was working hand-in-hand hand and very strong on issues with President Obama. And I can imagine that that will come up. And so many people championed her with that. I remember Spike Lee's wife, Tanya Lee. She was very supportive of that. And something that I don't normally talk about, but with my first daughter, who's 18, I almost died right after I gave birth. I had double pneumonia. And they thought I had a heart attack. They didn't know. They did a lot of tests. I had double pneumonia in the hospital after I had my first child. And they were trying to figure out because I was filled with fluid. And they were trying to figure out, was my heart not pumping the way it's supposed to be? It's a real issue. And it's unfortunate there are such disparities in health care you know, and people don't take a lot of our complaints seriously or they just dismiss them. And thank God I was in the hospital. I wasn't sent home right away. I stayed in the hospital. I was there for at least seven days, if I remember. And I just had my daughter and I was gravely ill. Both lungs were filled with fluid because my heart was not pumping the fluid fast. I had double pneumonia, almost died. So I get it. And I'm not going to say I'm going to be for it or against it, you know, as a reporter, but as a human who went through it, march on, Vice President Kamala Harris, march on with that one. And I don't see why she wouldn't, if she championed it in the Senate, I don't see, and it's a very valid issue. I don't see why it wouldn't come up at some point. Look, it could come up in Women's History Month. It could come up in Black History Month, or it could come up when the time is right. But I... Jaren, I really believe that it will come up. I don't think it's not going to not happen. Okay. And speaking of things that may or may not happen now, for me, myself personally, I'm very, very invested on whether this student loan forgiveness thing is an actuality. So that's part one. And then part two is, and one of our producers have pointed this out, 
yesterday, which I acknowledge that it was very elitist of me to not recognize this, which was what about those who didn't go to college? You know, so maybe like, why are we prioritizing like the higher education as opposed to, I believe the the highest or the largest debt that Americans suffer today are medical bills. You know, so do you think that there's anything that can be done for other forms of debt? So that's my two part question. Do you think the student loan forgiveness thing is going to happen? A. And B, do we think that there's anything that the government can actually do to address the other forms of debt that disproportionately affect our community? Well, other forms of debt that affect our community, they're working on that. I'm thinking about the issue of being a landlord. Many of us are small landlords few apartment buildings or few units, let's not say apartment buildings, few units. Many of us are trying to get a leg up and yet COVID has cost us to maybe face foreclosure, even in a house that we have. We are now, as Black people, in home ownership back to the numbers where we were in the 1960s. And some of us tried to get a leg up by going into real estate, renting properties, you know, getting a couple of units. Now, because of COVID, a lot of our tenants are not paying because they don't have a job. We're risking foreclosure. And think of this as cyclical. That house, the equity in that house can go to pay for a college education for your child. They could go to building a business. So they are working, and it's cyclical. There are a lot of different things that touch us, and they're trying to work on debt forgiveness grants, et cetera. So they're working on that. When it comes to student loan, that is a huge deal. Many people uh, go into financial ruin because of issues of not being able to pay that student loan. And there are so many people who are into their 30s, 40s, and maybe even 50s still paying for that loan. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So they are working hard with this next stimulus package to possibly do something, even if it's like to put the months that we're in right now, put it on the back end. They're trying to work through something. They're working through forgiveness, debt forgiveness as well. But the question is, can they do it? We are we're in a recession trying to stave off the depression. And they're trying to make it so, and this is what they're trying to weigh, make it so they take the burden off of you, but don't put so much burden on them where the nation cannot economically recover. So so and financial institutions can still stay viable, stay in the, in the black. This is a very, very tough time. And people are hurting economically. This thing is a destroyer on all levels. Everyone doesn't follow politics like maybe you or me or Shauna. But for the average American, how would you say is the best way forward for them to hold the Biden-Harris administration accountable? The best way to make your voice heard is by being a part of the PTA, by by reaching out in your city councilman, your state lawmaker, your congressman, letting the White House know you're not happy, you know, and letting them know in a way that's peaceful, nonviolent, okay? Because let's be clear with that, because January 6th is still real. We're still traumatized from that. Your voice matters. We were bullied into submission to believe that we don't matter. We are still part of the equation of we the people who are still forming a more perfect union. We're going through painful growing pains. I mean, we've got a stomach ache that we can't even believe is still here. But in the midst of it, how do you fix that ache? What is the medicine? Medicine is getting up and saying, I matter. You need to do this for me. If union, if the women's community, if the LGBTQ community, if the immigration community, if the black community did not get up and say anything, you wouldn't see the advances that are coming. Yes, there's still problems, but the ball is moving forward, not regressing. So we are a reactionary society. I think about Black Lives Matter. If George Floyd 
died and no one was out there, if Breonna Taylor died and no one said a thing, it took everybody to march, wear the t-shirts, call the name. If Ahmaud Aubrey had died, no one said anything. We have to speak their names. We have to march in the street. We have to have these protests that are built into the fabric of our country, built into the pillars that the founding fathers made. The democracy is made by the people and for the people with peaceful protesting to make change. That is what democracy is. And we have to remember that we have a right. That's how you get what you want, by speaking truth to power. And I think about what Shirley Chisholm said, the late, great Shirley Chisholm, who is our soul. The first black woman to run for president in 1972, she said, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm said, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. You've got to get to the table by any means necessary. That's what Malcolm said. That was pre-Mecca Malcolm. By any means necessary, get to the table and make your voice heard peacefully and nonviolently. That's what the late, great John Lewis would say, the man who would say, get in the good trouble. And that's the good trouble. I'm quoting all these people. <laughs> Listen, that was a word. <laughs> but so last question, take a, take a journey with me. It is day 101 of this administration's time in office. In a perfect world, what has happened? What laws have passed? Is Trump in the ground? I don't know. You know, it's... <laughs> Behind bars. I don't know. What are these? In your perfect world, what would those things be? <laughs> you don't want to know. Um, <laughs> in a perfect world, day 101, I'd be reporting for the griot. We'd be breaking news. But you know, you have to remember, these 101 days, every president is, so, what is he going to do in the first 101 days? And it's not mm-hmm. ceremonial, but it's kind of like, it's an effort to show I'm working for you. I'm holding true to my promises. But at the end of the day, what would be the ideal world? And as a reporter, I should not do this, but I told you, you know, with Donald Trump, my objective hat has been taken off because it got personal. He needs to pay for his crimes. He needs to pay for the breaking of the rule of law. He needs to pay for inciting injustice on the Hill. The founding fathers did not write this into the Constitution. The executive branch is not allowed to incite war on the legislative branch, okay? The President of the United States is not allowed to send his minions to kill journalists, or he's not allowed to say journalists are the enemy of the people. This man is intrinsically flawed, at the very least. He is aware enough to be, his name to be emblazoned on every building that he touches and considers himself a billionaire, whatever he is. He's a real estate mogul. He's conscious that he's a genius. He's conscious he's aware, so he should be held accountable. I mean, if he claims insanity, still hold him accountable, just as sane and in jail. That's what I like to see within the 101 days. But as far as the Biden administration, there's a lot of things that are broken. He needs to focus in on COVID. He needs to focus in on equity, which he's doing. He needs to focus in on policing. Um, that policing issue is still real. Right now, it's quiet. And look at this and watch for this. The next deadly police-involved incident with someone in the Black community, people are going to watch how this president handles it. People are going to watch how Congress handles it because we're now all Democratic. And People have been fighting to take qualified immunity away from police officers. The question, will that happen with this administration? The economy is terrible right now. They've got to get people back to work. They've got to stimulate the economy. They've got to give checks to stimulate the economy so people can go out and buy to have com- show confidence. There's so much simultaneously that's colliding that the first 100 days will encompass, but trust and believe If there's something that he forgets in the first 100 days, people will be screaming to the rafters. 
So it's just so much on the table right now. We never thought we'd see anything like this. At least in my history books, I've never imagined anything like this. Did you? No. History books, your government, your class, or your civics class. I'm like, what? I already told Jaren, I am sick and tired of living through these historical events. This is ridiculous. It's great to be a reporter during these times, but it's like, whew. I'm like, I send Jaren, I'm like, Jaren, I just did this. He's like, okay, I got it. Jaren is my editor. So I love me some Jaren. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so mm, well thank you so much april you were dropping gems thank did you did i drop some gems so, jaren did i because sean okay. <laughs> you know sean was gonna say because i sent her a care package from my house so. <laughs> oh goodness well griot fam our dear culture fam we want to thank our guest april ryan for joining us today and we'd like to encourage our listeners to continue to stay engaged and keep demanding that the black agenda be loud and unapologetic let's keep fighting to ensure that the american dream finally includes us. Amen. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The Black business that we'll highlight this week is Harriet's Bookshop. Named after Harriet Tubman, this bookshop in Philadelphia's Fishtown specializes in books by women authors. Order online or stop by if you're in Philadelphia to support a growing legacy of women authors. You can view their inventory at www.harrietsbookshop.com. That's Harriet with two R's and two T's. The Griot has published a list of 50 plus black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you would like your business featured, please email us at info at thegrio.com. That's G-R-I-O.com. And of course, thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio, executive produced by Blue Toulousma, and co-produced by Sundas Hassan, Lana Adams, and Kevin Y. Brown. See you next week.